0: the scripture passage today that comes to us from Mark chapter 1 uh, verses 35 through 42. We're spending this month in this gospel and uh, looking at how these disciples were called and what that means for us. And so as we listen to this familiar word, let us have ears to hear what the Lord would say to us today. Mark chapter 1 verses 35 through 42. Before daybreak the next morning Jesus got up and went out to an isolated place to pray later simon and the others went out to find him when they found him they said everyone is looking for you but jesus replied we must go on to other towns as well and i will preach to them too that is why i came so he traveled throughout the region of galilee preaching in the synagogues and casting out demons A man with leprosy came and knelt in front of Jesus, begging to be healed. If you are willing, you can heal me and make me clean, he said. Moved with compassion, Jesus reached out, touched him. I am willing, he said. Be healed. Instantly, the leprosy disappeared and the man was healed. This is the word of God for the people of God thanks be to God. You may be seated. I was uh, walking in Target, Kroger, some time ago, and I noticed an old seminary friend down the aisle. I say friends, we're really more than acquaintances. I served him coffee when I worked at Solomon's Port. It's a little restaurant there in Wilmore. And if I'm totally honest with you, when I saw the guy, I had one thought cross my mind. And it was something like this. Oh, please don't let him remember me. (laughs) See, I was busy. I had kids to get to. I had work that still needed to get done. I wanted to race on and get to the next thing. I needed to accomplish something. And added to that, this guy, well, this guy kind of bugged me back in school, and I didn't want to get sucked into drama. So I did what any good pastor would do I lowered my head as if I was contemplating. Looked at my shopping list, and I started to walk by. Guess what happened? He recognized me. He treated me like I was a long-lost friend. He even called me by name, and I shamefully could not remember his. I casually said, well, how are you? To which he began to tell me some pretty harsh events that were unraveling in his life and ministry. I felt bad for the guy. I felt sympathy for him, but I also was under that time crunch. I had to move on. My phone buzzed, and I told my friend, oh, I really need to get this, but I'll be praying for you and hope we can catch up in the future. Do you know what I didn't do? I didn't pray for him, and I didn't catch up with him. I felt guilty about it for a minute, but then I let myself dismiss those thoughts as little more than just inconvenient, and I, I forgot all about the conversation as my offer. I went about my business, and as I lay my head down on the pillow that night... My, his face flashed in front of my eyes and I grimaced, I felt bad for him. I might have said, God bless him. More than likely, I rolled over and I went to sleep. Now, before you think I'm just an absolute total jerk, that's a made up story. <laughs> I didn't actually do that. I didn't actually, but I have had a similar experience. I bet you have too. I'm not really that cold, and I hope I'm not really that full of myself, but while that exact story may not have happened, that kind of thing happens a lot, I'm sad to say. I can't hide that sometimes I'm super busy, and I can't hide that sometimes I do the casual, hey, how are ya? I'm going to pray for you. Um, I wonder, have you ever heard someone say that to you? Oh, I'll pray about that for you. Have you ever thought when someone said that, that that was code word for I'm done and I'm moving on? no real desire to hear more, maybe I'll pray about it. It's become almost common when a tragedy occurs for us to say, I'm going to pray about that. Hurricane hits, social media is filled with pray for the Bahamas, the Caribbean, the Gulf Coast, or if it's an act of violence that erupts around us, we're going to pray for that campus. We're going to pray for that workplace. We're going to pray for the, the dot, 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 the city, the victims. We even light little digital candles on our computers, and we may even have the best intentions to offer those prayers. But how often do we actually lift them up? I read an article this week. It was entitled, Please Don't Pray For Me. It was the cry of a young person who was tired of being afraid and didn't just want someone to pray for them. I found a song that has the same title, and the lyrics are rough. The songwriter is an alcoholic who's out of control, and some of his friends were trying to have an intervention with him. He didn't want their help. He didn't want their prayers. He wanted to be sucked into his own pain and hurt and guilt. I got a family member who's been hurt really deeply by the church. He rages against the church, actually, in his words. He says that our prayers are useless words to a useless deity. What he's failed to realize is that even though he has experienced these deep wounds... He was also nurtured and loved by people of deep faith who continue to pray for the healing of his heart and of his wounds. One of my former students who's in ministry recently posted a a, a rather challenging statement on her social media feed. She said, when will we stop praying and start doing? It's a haunting question. It usually does what unsettling questions do in social media. It either rallies or repels. (laughs) Folks either rapidly agree... Or they rapidly vilify someone who would say such a thing. And rather than engage and think, we react and we respond. Each side often turns to Jesus and the Bible with a justification or a proof text for our own position. But I'm left wondering, is it really that simple? We're spending this month, as I said earlier, exploring this idea of being a disciple. Of being a disciple of Jesus, what it meant and what it means for us today. We're rediscovering that being a disciple is much more than just being a fan who sits on the sidelines. Jesus' expectation of those followers was that we would truly follow, we would be like him as he empowers us to actually live like him. We follow so close uh, that others mistake us for being like Jesus, for being like our rabbi. Last Sunday, we looked at these two ministries of Jesus that were to take on loving and serving Loving and serving just like he did. I originally wanted to take today's two words and start there. Um, But there's a word here today that was used last Sunday. And we're going to use it again this morning that's really helpful. The ministry of Jesus uh, that we're exploring today is this idea of prayer and this idea of healing. You've heard these themes already this morning. And in this story, they're both unleashed from this word that connects us compassion, that gut sympathy of Jesus, the prayers and the healings of Jesus, which we're invited, by the way, to take up and to copy, just like Jesus did, were confined. Or better yet, they were channeled through his compassion, through his heart. Let's Let's make sure we know we are, where we are in the gospel story. Let's give ourselves some context. Jesus has called those first four disciples along the Sea of Galilee to drop their nets and to come and follow him. He's gone to Capernaum, and he's teaching in the synagogue. and It's on the Sabbath, and the crowds are overwhelmed because he's speaking with this passion and this authority that everybody's like, what? His presence is so dynamic and powerful that crowds show up. Um, And he goes to Simon's house that evening, and he notices that Simon's mother-in-law is sick, and he walks over, and he, he offers a healing, something, by the way, that Simon didn't ask for. At least we're not told that. That's funny. Come on. Ha ha ha. Simon didn't ask, but Jesus sees this woman who's hurting and he reaches in and he heals her. And this healing is then followed by all kinds of other healings, multiple healings, healings of sick people and those tortured by some demonic influence in their lives. And the crowds, they're thick. They're anticipating, they're, they're brimming, they're rolling over out the edges and down the streets. And as evening comes that night and the crowds start to disperse, the stillness of rest, falls on the house. I'm so thankful for Eric's message with our kids this morning. How many of you all needed just a minute to breathe and be still? Rest falls on this house. And Mark tells us that early in the morning, before daybreak, like at 4 a.m., I didn't know there were two fours in a day. The sun hasn't even begun to think of peeking up over the horizon. Jesus, he gets up and he seeks out the solitary place, an isolated, uninhabited, remote spot that he goes to in the dark. It's hid, hidden from from everyone and everything. It's quiet. And in this place, in the darkness, there becomes a doorway for Jesus, a place to get away. And it's at this ridiculous hour when he should be sleeping. He should be physically recovering from the day's stress before. Jesus prays. Isn't that a remarkable statement to make? Jesus prays. I don't know about you, but when I think about Jesus, this is the incarnate Son of God. So it might seem a little strange to think that God in the flesh would actually be praying to God. He's God after all. But if we think of prayer as only submitting something, offering something up, then we miss out on what Jesus was doing. Prayer is this interactive conversation, this engaging flow of back and forth. For a Hebrew prayer involved pleading and requesting and sharing, but above all of that, it demanded this degree of being with God. That's what prayer was. Cozying up and being with the creator of the universe. Prayer is spending time and allowing ourselves to refocus on what is rather than just what could be. It's not just thinking of God as some um, jukebox in the sky where we put a bunch of coins in and hope we get something nice out of. It's not some genie in a bottle that if we do the right thing, we'll get our magic wishes. Well, at some point, the crowds, they start pounding on Peter's door. It's later in the morning. Jesus is nowhere to be found. And so the disciples, they get up and they go looking for him. They must have known where he's going because they get this to the remote, isolated spot. And they say to him, Master Jesus, everyone is looking for you. We need you to come back. And get the party going again. It is a loaded statement. Why? Because they have these needs and desires and hopes and wishes for Jesus to fulfill. And Jesus responds to them, you're right, it's, it's time to get moving. But we've got to move on. We're going to go somewhere else. It's almost as if Jesus anticipates that the crowd and these disciples are looking for something. Maybe something he's not willing to give them. A Messiah that they're wanting, that that they're expecting. And and he's going, the Father's going to offer something else. Well, what's the other thing? Well, we find out next, because as they move along, this leper comes up to Jesus. Now, leprosy in the ancient world could refer to what we call Hansen's disease, which is this chronic infectious disease that causes skin lesions and, and nerve damage. But it could also refer to any skin disease or damage that was unexplainable, that people couldn't talk about. In the biblical world, leprosy was uncurable. In fact, there were only two recorded curings of leprosy in the Old Testament record. If a person had leprosy because of how easy it was to transmit, and because there was no cure, there was no balm in Gilead to, a, to, to put on this, it was deemed as some kind of curse. A person, Rather than a, a blessing, it was a curse on them. It was a, bringing them down. The person then was isolated from everything and everyone. They were expelled from their community. They were cut off from family and friends and purpose. And, and even their faith. I know some folks who'd love to say, Hey, Pastor, you don't want me coming anymore. That's all right, right? In their world, to be cut off from your community of faith, oh, that was a big deal. That was isolation at its greatest. When a leper would come, shout, they would have to shout from a distance, unclean, unclean. And that meant that everybody who was clean could run. They didn't want to get this. Think about that. A leper would watch people actively run away from them. What does this guy do? Well, this guy, he doesn't yell unclean. He runs, unclean and all, he runs up to Jesus and he falls at his feet. And he begs for healing. He says, if you are willing, you can heal me. You can make me clean. Without presumption, without doubting Jesus' ability, this man humbly begs for some kind of intervention. Why? Because he knows that his diagnosis is certain that his future is bleak. He knows that there's no known help for him, but he also has seen in Jesus that this is somebody who has an authority that nobody else does. Verse 41 tells us that Jesus had compassion. It's that word again. He was gut moved with sympathy. He hurt for this man. He, he felt for this guy. Or Some earlier translations say that Jesus was angry. At the, that it let, and then that's led to a lot of people going, well, what was Jesus angry about? Angry at the man for breaking? No, I don't think so. I think it goes to that compassion. He was angry at, at the situation. Jesus knew what leprosy did, not just to the body, but to the soul. And I think his compassion was stirred because he knew what this man was going on. This deep ache that he was experiencing. A physical for sure, but also that ache of touch, that ache of connection with somebody else. So what does Jesus do? Don't miss it. Don't miss it. Jesus reaches out and Jesus touches him. And then Jesus says, I am willing to be healed. Jesus didn't do what would be the easiest thing. He could have just spoken, and the man would have been healed. Just like that. But what's Jesus doing? No. He touches him. Which maybe in the long run is the most natural thing for Jesus to do. He's not just curing this man. Physically, He is healed relationally. He is healed socially. It's an immediate, and everybody can see that he is clean. He's healed religiously so that he can now come and make himself known in the community. Have you ever had someone come up to you and say, I can't go to church with you, the walls would fall in on me. This man is healed in such a way that he can come in and say, Here I am, Lord. Jesus prayed and Jesus healed. These are these two practices of Jesus that were instrumental, not just to his ministry, but to his very being, to who he was. They're an outflow of his compassion, of his heart. They're they're both needed in order for Jesus to accomplish the mission that the Father has given him. They're both actions that revealed to the world who he was. They're both invitations rather startling ones, that he expects his disciples to take up. See, Jesus' work of prayer and healing was something, it is something, that he is expecting for you and I to continue. We're supposed to pray like Jesus. We're supposed to offer healing like Jesus. Now, I realize I say that, that, that's a mouthful. No, Jim, wait a minute, hold on. He's Jesus, I'm not but we're called nonetheless. You know, when we offer a social media post of prayers, or we nonchalantly say, I'm praying for you, when we do those statements, we're in danger actually of not being like Jesus. See, for Jesus, prayer was action. Prayer was movement and involved engaging a holy one. At times that means pleading. At times it means offering confessions. Sometimes prayer means wrestling or sharing words that we would call demanding. Calls for justice and liberation are part of the prayer book of the Bible. Prayer is this honest conversation. It's an act of co-working with the God and the majesty of of this God who creates. The model Jesus is given by his very people is is to be a people that listens and a people of speaking both. It's a both-and kind of thing. A stilling and a moving. Prayer is a place where we are restored, as Jesus was after a, a day of teaching and healing in Simon's home. I think he must have known that the crowds would come back. They always do. He knew the fickleness of people and how they would expect something that he wasn't willing to give at that time. He needed a time of clarity with the Father. And it's from that clarity that Jesus moves on to do even more. An active prayer life leads leads to this ability to offer more healing to more of God's children. Prayer isn't just sit in a room and say, okay, God, be with Paris, be with the Bahamas, be with the family whose son just took their life. Prayer involves all of that. It's entreating God to move And then it's acting, it's showing up, it's standing up, it's being part of the answer. You may be the answer to a prayer. Sitting next to you this morning, someone may have prayed something that you are the answer for. Prayer anticipates action, it releases it. Prayer and healing go together. Healing prayers are often answered by the presence of someone who steps up and steps out. You can offer Jesus this kind of healing. You can be that answer. You can offer healing for brokenness. You can be an agent of emotional or spiritual, relational, even physical healing, if you're willing to move. It's amazing what kind of miracle you, you, you can be. You've heard the benediction, right? Don't pray for easy lies, but pray to be strong, men and women, so that what? You will be the... Miracle. Prayer without action can be merely an excuse and some fatalistic approach to life. Well, I'll pray, and if God doesn't do anything, then it must have been God's will. Pray with words and listen with your ears and heart. You may be God's given answer. You may rise from your knees and be invited to offer some kind of healing to somebody. But notice you can't just offer healing without first being with your Father. If you're constantly on the go, doing and seeking, you're missing out on the heart-to-heart that the creator of the universe wants to have with you. If you want to be a disciple of Jesus, then you're going to have to have that heart of compassion. And to receive that heart of compassion, you've got to be with him. You have to learn from him. You have to be a person of prayer. It's been said that prayer is like breath. To the follower of Jesus, they can be short calls, breath prayers. Author Anne Lamott says that there are three basic prayers: help, thanks, and wow. I'm really good at all three of them. Help, thanks, wow. Sometimes that's all is needed. Sometimes it's all it's possible. Prayer can be spent in journals or painting or taking a walk or, or being on your face. Prayer can happen as you look at an icon or a picture that draws your heart to the Father. It can take place in isolated places. It can pl- take place in large crowds. But the prayer of the follower of Jesus are the prayers that connect us to that Father. where we pour out ourselves, our longings, our hopes, our desires. And it's where we take time to pause and to hear the longings and the hopes and desires and will of the Father too. It's where we are moved to offer healing like Jesus, where we can do simple things like visit a friend who's in need. We can go down a slide with a toddler. We can make a phone call. We can listen. We can do any number of actions if we'll just choose to be available. The ministry of healing is a ministry for all disciples. Congratulations, you call yourself a follower of Jesus. You are a healer. Wounded, sure, but you're a healer. You have this opportunity to pour yourself out for the gifting and the healing of other people. The ministry of healing may not look miraculous all the time, but it's something that will flow from the heart of a prayed-up follower. This past week, as I said earlier, has been rough. I've needed a good deal of prayer. I found myself with a lot of folks who've needed even more. The brokenness and the hopelessness of so many people has been as real as ever. My conversations have, have ranged from worry uh, and money issues and harm and care of children. There's been discussions about cancer, the death of loved ones. Talked about experiencing, actually our families experienced two different suicides this week all while my family's remembering the one-year anniversary of my brother-in-law who took his life. To all of this, my friends, the world needs you and I to be a praying people who get up and get into the action. There are needs in this very room that will be answered by possibly someone right here. There's healing that someone can receive through our willingness to listen to the Father and then do as Jesus did. Hope is missing all around us. And to this hopelessness, God is sending you. God is sending you. You are the answer to a prayer. So can I challenge you and invite you this week to pray? Seek time with the master, maybe in one-minute increments of breath prayer. Maybe in a 90 minute boat ride of quiet. Spend time with the Master. See that He's modeled for us a time to be quiet and to hear and then to share. See that He needed that time of focus to be with His Father. If He needed it, how much more do we? And when you've prayed, oh, and when you have prayed, stand up and do something with it. Don't leave it there. But realize you have been called and empowered to be like the master. Anybody who can hear my voice this morning know you have been empowered by the living God to bring healing to someone this week. So get up and let's get going. Our gracious and loving God, we thank you for this story. We thank you for the way that you've modeled for us. A way that's not hard, it's not difficult. It's to spend time with you and to learn from your heart, to learn what compassion really looks like, to pour out our our longings and our hurts, to, to wrestle for justice, for mercy. It's to seek hope in a hopeless and dark world. And then, Lord, it's to, to know that we have been empowered to rise, to go out, to give hope, to give healing wherever we are. Lord, I pray this morning that each and every one of us will not just hear these words of empowerment, but that we will sense it, we will know it throughout this coming week. We will, we will have that nudge from the Spirit of who we are called to be, who we are invited to be, how you see us. Let's go forth from this place, disciples. Not burdened with an extra thing to do, but released with the very ministry and passion of Jesus. We thank you for this time. We thank you for the blessing of your presence, for the blessing of the presence of those around us. And now the blessing to be able to go and be like you. We pray all of this in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And all who had agreed with it said, Amen.